Welcome to the Middle Tech Spotlight Series, where we highlight entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem supporters that are building our startup ecosystem. We've been talking to founders consistently over the last four years, and we want to use this series to keep tabs on the companies being built here. Today, we're talking with JP Blevins of Live Oak Bank. JP was an early employee and investor in Live Oak and the head of small business lending. Live Oak is one of the first national lenders to do internet banking really well while focusing on niche industries. So we're excited to talk to JP about being a early employee at that company. Before diving in, we'd like to highlight all the sponsors that make all of this possible. Before highlighting our sponsors, we'd just like to state that the views and content shared on this platform do not necessarily reflect those of our show sponsors. Middletech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's Office of Entrepreneurship. KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem, and we are proud to be supported by an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information by clicking the link in our show notes or going to kyinnovation.com. All right, JP. Welcome to the Spotlight Series. Thanks for making some time to do this. Yeah, fellas. No, great to be here. Good to chat this morning. Hopefully you guys are uh, recovered after a nice long holiday. Yeah, yeah, it was Much great. It was relaxing and I uh, got to spend some time with family. So getting right back into it with a, a morning recording with you. And I feel like we should mention we are actually in your offices here. Um, so big thanks to you for letting us upgrade our setup with Middle Tech and record in the, the Live Oak offices here. This is an awesome spot you got. Thanks, man. Uh, I hear you, you might have to watch out for a few special guests that might like to walk through that door off Main Street. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah. you guys are welcome to the place anytime. Yeah, uh, we'll have to put that blooper in there. <laughs> First ever recording we did, we had a, a homeless fella walk in and decide to talk to us more and about the bed bugs. Um, but to kick things off, uh, we really just want to talk about, you know, your experience being a lot or an early employee at a company like Live Oak that obviously kind of went all the way through um, the iterations of a company and eventually went public, uh, also spun out Encino. Yep. Um, so let's just start by talking about your your early days, your early, early story. So you were, let's start with a basketball player at sure. the University of Kentucky, because I think the story kind of starts there ultimately. Yeah, no. Um, so I grew up in Edmonton, Kentucky. So Metcalf County is a couple hours from here. Um, just a really, really small rural town, about 10 minutes from Glasgow, about 40 minutes from Bowling Green. And grew up in a, in a, in a, um, you know, just real humble background. My mom was a school teacher. Uh, my dad was county attorney of her hometown, but I just was obsessed with basketball uh, from as far back as I can remember. Kind of grew up in a basketball family. So my dad sent me up here to, uh, it was Rick Patino's first year coaching here. I was in the fourth grade. He sent me to UK camp and I was like, man, I don't care whatever happens in this world, but that is what I'm going to do. So I just grew up with this. Uh, it became really an obsession. I just loved it. And I was just wanted to spend all my time on the court, really kind of dreaming of that dream. So it would go out in my yard every night. And like so many boys probably in Kentucky growing up, acting like they're playing at Rupp. Um, so I put so much attention to it. You know, that started, started to excel. And, uh, you know, Patino offered me a scholarship as a junior in high school. Um, he ended up leaving my senior year of high school to go coach the Celtics, which was a huge bummer, big letdown because I was super excited to go play in his system. And um, so I ended up playing all four years for Tubby Smith from 98 to 02, which now feels like 100 years uh, ago. But um, yeah, you know, I got the the uh, the awesome, you know, fortunate opportunity to live out truly my first dream. And um you know, it, I think most of what I learned getting into business and in my career, uh, most of those lessons, I think, can actually go back to 
that basketball court and the lessons I learned through sports. I, f- I see so much application between the two. Competition yep. is one of them, right? No doubt. What I mean, else? like you know, you just you, you you learn the daily discipline, the work ethic, how to outwork people, but you also have to learn how, how do you be a good teammate? How do you be selfless? So much more fun to win with a group of people than doing it alone. Um, I think you have to develop mental toughness. Sports teaches you. So, I mean, you just get beat up, right? And you got to figure out how to bounce back, and you got to learn a little bit of tough skin, right? Some coach is going to probably coach you harder than you've probably been coached before. All that stuff, I think, really applies. Uh, so I love when a good athlete comes through that I think has the potential to succeed on this side because I know that there's some certain attributes he's probably went through that make him a great candidate. Yeah, yeah, and I think for me, so I I played high school golf all through high school. Yep. And I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to the next level and play college, but one of the, I guess, challenging parts for me that also turned out to be rewarding was kind of that identity shift to go from, I'm a golfer and I yeah. focus all my yep. time and attention on, on golf. Now I'm trying to figure out, you know, what my identity is in the business world. Uh, so talk about that shift for you. Yeah. So you, you finished your time at UK, yep. you had some time, you're still in Lexington. Uh, and then get us to the point where you're about to join. Yeah. Us. So I, I think probably like, probably like a lot of people, my identity was in sports. And so, uh, I, I went to UK and honestly I, I did well in school, but I did kind of the bare minimum to get by cause all my focus was on basketball. So I majored in communications, not because I thought that was smart, but it sounded halfway decent and I didn't think it would take a lot of effort. So I could spend all my time. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think much has to, changed for that degree today. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so, um, but you know, the funny thing is, uh, when I got out, I was like, what now? And, um, so I was kind of writing down my goals and knowing that, you know, sports was over. It's kind of like, you know, so kind of the old, you know, I had the, the yellow pad out and I was writing my goals down. I had some big ones and certainly some big financial ones. And I was like, how in the world am I going to do that? And what do I even do now? And I remember like looking at that piece of paper and thinking, well, there's only a few ways I can get to there. And one of them was, all right, you can start or own a business, right? And I didn't see myself doing that at 23. And, or I could, I could probably go climb the ladder at a company and get to the, the C-suite or get to the top of a profession like Calipari or somebody like that. And I didn't really see that path. And then there was this thing over here. It was like, or I could invest. And I knew at 23, um, that was always going to be my ticket. Like I was, I love the concept and the idea that I didn't have to create the idea but I could go align myself and put equity in with concepts and companies that I believed in and people that I believed in and watch equity grow alongside that. So can I use my instincts uh, to go do that? I thought most of my investing would come through the stock market. So I, at 24, really began to become a sponge for everything finance. You know, I didn't go to business school, but I, at that time, I was reading and listening to literally everything I could get my hands on in the investing world. And so I was kind of self-taught, um, which I think is way underestimated today. I mean, look, that's, there has never been a better time in the world that if you're a self-starter and you actually have some grit about you to go learn what you need to learn to do what you need to do. Uh, I think I'm a pretty good example of that. Um, so I got hooked up with a company. I started trading when I was 24. I got hooked up with a company called Invest Tools, and they were kind of like a leading financial educator. So they were teaching fundamental analysis of stocks. 
Um, they were teaching basic option trading. They were teaching technical analysis, advanced technical analysis. And I went through kind of their PhD program. Uh, I wrote an uncomfortable check to kind of buy that education. Um, so at 25, I was trading and um, <clears throat> really, really got an appetite for the market, which is a passion that I still have today. And I've spent the last 20 years as a, as a trader. So I was working for myself at 26. I, I did like pharmaceutical sales right out of school to pay the bills. Um, I was doing was doing some sports camps here in town. And so then it, I'd been working for myself for three years. I was 28 years old. And one of my best friends is a guy that I met in college. And his dad, his name's Chip Mahan. And not a lot of people know Chip's story around here, but I think Chip is one of the top three entrepreneurs to ever come out of this state I grew up in Frankfurt. And I can tell you more about chip, but so Jim was his son. He said, Hey, look, you know, my dad is thinking about a new venture in Wilmington, North Carolina, this bank that kind of flips banking on its head a little bit. They're going to do small business lending nationally to only just a few niche industries using the SBA product, but no branches. So, so I was financially savvy, but I didn't go to business school, right? I didn't have any banking background. So I was like, Jim, what the hell am I going to do at the bank? I mean, like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've done pretty decent through my own investments over here. But he's like, oh. so I had no intent of going down there. I was like, I love Lexington. I love Kentucky. My best friends are here. My mom's a couple hours down the road. This is my comfort zone. And, you know, one advantage of playing at UK is even though my career was a little bit of a roller coaster, you got a little name recognition and that helps, you know, in town. So I would be giving up an advantage I have there to leave. But I had known what his dad had done. So I just said, hey, Jim, um, well, do you think, uh, I don't think I can come down there and work, but maybe you think he would let me invest in the bank. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm happy to set the meeting up. So at 28, I fly to Wilmington, North Carolina. I'd never met his dad, a successful entrepreneur that had started a few companies, taken them public. So I sit down with him. I was like, you know, Mr. Mahan, look, I know you don't need my money, but would you ever consider taking me on as an investor? Uh, I just don't have the opportunity to put my money in with people that have your kind of track record, people that I know and trust. And I assumed I was going to get a no, but this was one of those things where you just, your instincts are, this thing is going to work. So can I get a little peace? <laughs> so he says, let me think about it. So I come home, you know, I hadn't heard from him in three or four days, email him, you know, Chip, I don't know if you've thought any more about my ask, would really love. And so he called me and said, look, you take that money, uh, like what you're doing, and go invest it in yourself. We're going to keep the investors, the people that are working down here and that are a part of this thing. Uh, but call me if you need a mentor. I'm here. Uh, I'm bullish on you. Go get them kind of thing. So, all right. I had uh, nothing venture, nothing gain. I'm in the same place. Um, then the financial world collapses <laughs> in 2008. And I am like, thank the Lord I didn't write that check to be a part of that startup bank. <laughs> so they were literally the last bank to get their charter before the world collapsed. And I mean, it was, this is the worst time to start a bank in the last 50 years. Um, you know, they were doing they were kind of a, an originate sell and service model and the secondary market was absolutely frozen. You couldn't sell a loan. So they couldn't execute the plan, but they didn't have any home mortgages. They had no exposure to any of that. Uh, they were just lending in a few industries 
So a year later, you know, I kind of see they're coming out of that. And Jim and I were talking again. He's like, look, you know, we got like 15 people down here now. Now we're lending to three different industries. I think we we found our way through the muck. Uh, he's like, man, I think I actually have something that you would love to do. And he's like, I know you don't think you could leave Kentucky, but man, we're just trying to put some of the right people on the bus and figure out where to put them. And you're kind of a guy I think that can add some value. So Man, for the first time, I had to really kind of think. So I had been working for myself for four years. Um, it was fine, but I wasn't really scaling my life either. And I was a little comfortable. And the one thing that I have taught myself is when you're feeling really comfortable and you don't feel stretched, like become uncomfortable with that feeling. So now I'm like, Lord, can I really leave? I spent a couple weeks like praying, Lord, can I really leave? Go to Wilmington, North Carolina, where I know one person doing something I know nothing about, <laughs> leaving my friends, my family, my comfort zone to take a shot at this. So after a couple weeks of really praying, you know, I, I just thought um, I was being led to leave my comfort zone and take a risk. And basically what I just said was, look, I, the beauty was I wasn't married, I didn't have kids, so I wasn't ripping kids out of school and convincing wife. It was just me and my dog. So that makes it easier. And I was like, you know what? You know, if this doesn't work out, I always know the road back home, right? Um, but I think this is one that I'm going to kick myself waking up in 10 years and having not tried this one. And if they let me write a check, now I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. Actually, that would be the only way I would go. Because... It was so funny. I'd read like a Branson book, like, um, three, three years Richard earlier. Branson? Yeah. yeah. And so it was like three years earlier and there was a quote that stood out. He's like, you know, when a great opportunity presents itself, even if you don't know what you're doing, just say yes and figure it out. To me, this felt like that I was going to business or I was putting myself in a position with people that were batting a hundred percent uber successful, but also incredibly progressive minded. It seems like they were always five steps ahead. But on top of that, and this was the kicker for me, it was like some of the best human beings that I knew. Solid, solid, solid people. So I said, look, if I'm going to write an uncomfortable check and I'm going to roll the dice, that's kind of a formula that I feel like it's worth rolling the dice at. Batting 100%, incredibly smart and progressive minded, great people. So, man, I put my golden retriever, Maximus, in the car, my forerunner. I loaded up everything I had. I drove 10 hours to Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, by the way, there's worse places to move. Uh, Riceville Beach is the beach in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I love Kentucky, but the beach is pretty nice. So, man, unpacked, and um, I'll try to speed this up for you. I um, was really homesick after a few months. I knew that. I made a promise to myself that I would not consider coming home unless I'd spent one year there because I knew I was going to want to come home. And um, so I didn't know what I was doing, so I just kind of reverted back to what I learned in sports, just first dude in the office, go find the people that know the most, try to learn from them. <laughs> I would print out credit memos, take them home. I'd learn how to underwrite loans. And because I didn't have a family, uh, I just traveled and built relationships and I just worked. And I fell in love with the business and I fell in love with the people. So my trajectory went kind of from, I went down there. I was, uh, by the way, I did get to write my uncomfortable check, which was, uh, was definitely one of the biggest reasons I got to, got to go. <clears throat> but I started, um, 
I started speaking when I went down there for the bank out on the road. And I realized like, look, if I'm going to be at a bank, I better learn how to lend money. Became a lender. <laughs> that went really well. Um, they asked me to take over a team that was lending to healthcare professionals across the country. We were doing about 60 million annually in loans. Um, took it over. I had a great team. We grew that to 400 million within three years. Um, so they were really happy with me. And uh, so 2017, um, they asked me to be uh, chief revenue officer of the bank or head of sales. And um, so I should have said in 2015, the bank went public. So I moved down there when there were 15 people. Today, there's 1,200. Live Oak has become the largest originator of SBA paper in the country. Um, we probably had, we're probably at, you know, two or 300 million in assets. When I got there, we're at 10 billion in assets today. So having not gone to business school, not being a banker, having put my dog in the car at 29, and then I'm running sales of a publicly traded bank, kind of felt a little weird. And and I don't say that, honestly, to, to brag. I, there have been a lot of grace along this path. Right time, right people, right place. Yes, I've taken some risk. Yes, I've worked my ass off. But if you want to ask me, what did I really get right? I found the right dudes to bet on. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people from the outside, you know, I've, I've had this happen and I've seen it happen. They attribute a lot of it to luck and there is, you know, that component, but you position yourself for luck. You know, you said when you got out of college, there's a lot of self teaching, mm -hmm. you know, nobody at the top of their game is not self taught in some way. Yeah. And then the other thing is you position yourself for luck to even happen when you take a risk and you get, get outside your comfort zone because you're not going to get lucky, you know, in your comfort zone. And so I think those two things stood out to me about that story. And you've got to do those two things. No doubt. You know, that, that's how you get to the top of whatever game it is. Um, so, yeah, and bright people. You know, I think that that is... I always viewed luck as kind of like this bus that comes around every so often. But you can't even be at the bus stop unless you've prepared and put the work in. Yeah, for sure. If that's happened, there are these times where the world aligns and we meet people right time, right place. But you can't even be at the bus stop to get on the bus of luck yeah. if you're not prepared and working exactly. your tail off. I really believe that. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that you know I pull out of what you're talking about is, you know, I look at luck as like it's been described to me as a luck surface area. So if you think of it like a graph, there's the number of people, you know, on one axis, there's the number of things you do on the bottom axis. And to your point, if you're surrounding yourself with the right people, who are doing the right things and you're exposing yourself to those opportunities, the type of luck you're exposed to is now multiplied, you know, what, mm -hmm. a, what you would normally be, uh, be exposed to. And then the other point that really resonates with me is when you start to feel too comfortable and intentionally making yourself uncomfortable, that's been the whole way that I've gotten to be involved with middle tech. That's gotten me involved with sales river. That's, you know, introduced me to some of the cooler opportunities in my life. So I think that's just a key point to pull out of that is continue to push yourself out of your comfort zone make yourself uncomfortable. One thing I want to dig into is, you know, you guys differentiate about being online mm -hmm. and focusing on that user experience in a lot of ways. Talk about what it was like to be one of the first and, and what that experience looked like that differentiated you from other banks. So I think, I think, I think the secret sauce early was, um, you know, look, I got, I got around an incredible leader in Chip Mahan and the culture started with him, but I think the culture was really the secret sauce. Um, so when you're sitting around, there's 15 people and you're lending to a couple industries and everybody gets access to the founder, he really sets the tone. And um, 
Live Oak was was voted, you know, five years in a row the best uh, the best bank to work for in the country based upon employee engagement and surveys and all that stuff. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, I can think of so a typical bank, right? You, you know, you go in, you know, maybe sometimes a little stodgy, pretty tight, buttoned up. We kind of flipped all that on its head. You know, mostly commission sales guys all around. Culture, maybe not the best. Antiquated systems, antiquated technology, antiquated processes. So we're in Wilmington, North Carolina at the beach, 15 of us. And uh, our dogs come in the office with us, and we're wearing shorts and flip-flops. And we're lending serious money, but we don't have walk-in clients, so we don't have to... But that kind of casual workplace allowed a allowed a workplace to really be like, look, we're going to work really hard, but you don't really have to try to be anybody you're not. You can also be comfortable in who you are and go do good work. Your your output doesn't depend on you having some really tight lace shoes and, and that kind of thing. Which, And then you said, all right, well, what if everybody here actually wrote a check and I owns a part of this as opposed to a bunch of commission sales guys competing against each other? That was a flip banking on its head moment. And we don't have to have branches across the country. If we build software that allows transparency into where your loan is in this process, and we do that more efficiently than anybody else, isn't the world going digital anyway? So you have to remember in 2008, branches were still being built. I mean, people thought like the way you grow banking is to go grow branches. We were like, no one's going to walk into a branch in 20 years. But this is the brilliance of Chip Mahan being able to see 15, 20 years down the road of where the puck is going before the puck even started sliding. Um, So, you know, we he also you know, we always talk about the three legged stool and this is easy to say and hard to do. But, you know, in a company, you have your people, you have your customers and you have your investors. And a lot of people say, you know, we'll we'll start with our people, but they're really making sure the investor is is happy. Chip's approach was, if I can love my people enough and give them the best of the best, the best workplace environment, the best resources, let them bring their dogs to work, have the best restaurant in town, the best facilities, they will go out of their way to make sure the customer feels like they are the only customer. And if you get one and two right, the investor will be just fine. That's easier to say, but I've watched him actually do that. And so watching a company be built where you're really taking care of the people um, was, uh, was a really fascinating thing and really kind of um, made an impression on me. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell for sure. And, you know, to, to go back and linger on the software side of this, yep. let's transition to talking about Encino yep. and how that came about. So first off, just high level, what is Encino? Yeah. And then get into that story. So um, Encino is a software as a service company. It's a SaaS company in the financial industry. It is a, uh, you know, back then. So we had to build a software. We were lending nationally out of Wilmington, North Carolina, utilizing the SBA product, which if you don't know much about the SBA product, it's a great product, but it is a burden, burdensome loan. It can be really tough, like a lot of documents. And so you're going to do this online. You better build a software to have your cloud storage, front end workflow, transparency throughout the organization. Does a customer know (laughs) when am I approved and when do I get my money? And if you can make that process really simple for them and very transparent, you're ahead of the game. 
So we got people to build that software early for us on top of force.com's platform. Even though we weren't public, other bankers could see the return on equity and return on assets our bank was having. And they were like, how are you guys running this bank so efficiently? Well, let's take a look at the software, what we've developed internally to run this place. And they said, well, is there any way we could maybe license it or uh, have a bit of it? And so, you know, you get that question five or six times. You're like, boys, uh, we might we might have something here. Uh, so in 2011, um, they realized that we need to we need to carve out and spin this out. So we were able to seed that company um, and. Encino is a Spanish word for live oak. So today, I literally watched this company go from one person. Um, today, Encino has probably close to 3,000 people. Um, you know, went public in 2020 at a $7 billion valuation. Here's a crazy story for you. Um, it was supposed to open on the IPO at uh, between 30 and $32. And... Um, it finished that day at 70. It was the best performing IPO NASDAQ stock in the last 20 years since a company called Baidu. You might have heard of Baidu. So, so I tell you that to say <clears throat> it's been a wild, wild story for me to watch two companies, to really have a front row seat for two companies, one that started with 15 people and one with zero, that really came and sprouted from an idea to let's put a plan on paper to let's put the right people around the table. Let's go execute to ring in the bell on the NASDAQ twice. Like, I don't know if there's an education I could have got at any MBA program in the world. I think it would have paled in comparison to kind of like the real life education I've got from, you know, having a front row seat to that. Um, but today, like Encino is probably in seven of the 10 largest financial institutions in the country. I mean, it's in B of A, Wells Fargo, Truist. I mean, you just go down the line, right? So, um, but being around, you know, the, the, the beauty of being exposed to that and one of the greatest things that is done for me is like when you get around people that are playing the game at that level, that think at that level, that execute at that level, it just changes the way you think. You cannot think small anymore. Like you're watching dudes that, or building billion dollar companies out of an idea. And, um, you know, it's true. Like, you know, the people you are around in your peer group, I mean, I, I was, it's the old like quotes, like, you know, a lot of people's lives turn out to be a direct reflection of their peer group's expectations. And when you get around dudes whose expectations are, <laughs> we're going to go turn this into a billion dollar company, then it just changes you. So the exposure to these guys in North Carolina has, has really been life-changing for me on a lot of levels. Sounds like it. And talk about moving back to Lexington. So, you know, you, you came back here. How long have you been back since yeah. moving back from Wilmington? So in, in, in 2017, I took that head of sales job. I did that for two years. Uh, that wasn't a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, you went from kind of leading sales teams to literally kind of every problem in the bank hitting my desk, every personnel problem. I, I, you know, I kind of burned the midnight oil for two years. I was stressed out. I went to chips like, look. Man, I didn't really come down here and set out to climb the ladder. It kind of happened, but the ladder might be leaning against the wrong house here, Chip. <laughs> I don't know if this is for me. No, but basically I told him, I was like, look, I've got to get back to having fun. You know, I've spent two years of not having fun. Um, and I also like, I've been gone from Kentucky for 10 years. And I said, look, I think I would also like to go back and spend a little bit more time in Kentucky. 
could I potentially get into kind of splitting time between Lexington and Wilmington? So um, we had started a general lending team, which was a bunch of national lenders spread across the country. Um, so I took over that in 19, all those guys were around the country. So it didn't really matter where I was. So began to do two weeks in Wilmington, two weeks in Lexington, COVID hits. I spent all of COVID here. The world goes remote. <laughs> we figure out we can actually run this bank remote. And I had met my soon to be wife in the two and two when I was doing that. So COVID hit, we spent all of COVID together, realized we're probably headed toward marriage. And that was kind of like, well, it looks like I am in Lexington now, which honestly is like so funny. I kind of always dreamed that I would, I would be back here one day and just so happened that these things worked out that that was kind of locked in. So, um, so yeah, that was what brought me back. So I moved back two and a half, you know, kind of really like right before COVID. Well, we're glad to have you back. It's been awesome getting to know you and see you connect with the, the startup ecosystem here and uh, get to know people. Um, and as we close out this, this interview, uh, talk about what's next for you. Where do you want to see your career go from here now that you've been front row at two of these massively successful companies? Yeah. You know what? I have a, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I mean, I lay my head on my pillow every night and, uh, I, uh, I, I hope to, you know, these two companies certainly have, um, changed the flexibility and options that I have now and, and opportunities and, Man, I, I really hope that I can spend as much time stewarding some of the gifts I've been given as much as I am planning the next business. You know, I, I have learned that <laughs> the giving side of, you know, having, you know, hitting a couple, hitting a couple of licks, but then being able to focus on things that stir your heart, that you really care about, that you want to go spend time and energy to try to help. That does weigh for my heart weight does way more for my heart and soul than any personal achievement has ever done. So how can I continue to now in a state that I care deeply about in a place that I'm from, try to go make this a little better place, not only for my hometown, but maybe in Lexington and, and things that really stir my heart. Um, so that's one thing I, you know, the other thing is, look, there is no arrival. Like, I don't think I've arrived at anything. I think in this world, it's a, it's a constant growing and expanding. And if you're not doing that, you're kind of dying. Like it's just, uh, I think, a part of being human that makes me feel alive. So, um, so I have traded a, a, a fund for friends and family, uh, cause I've spent 20 years in the market. Um, I haven't went out and never opened it up at all because I've had full-time employment, but it's been something that has, has done well. And, I do think there is, uh, I am stepping away from Live Oak at the end of June. And, and that looks like uh, we've got some ideas for a, uh, a really cool concept in the wealth management industry. Um, so more to come on all of that, but it looks like the next chapter of my business career would be to, uh, to get into the wealth management business. And it's so funny because like a lot of things that I noticed, like I remember having a conversation with the president of our bank like 12 years ago and I was asking him, he was a software guy but he was brought over to run the bank because we really needed to be five steps ahead on the software side. He's like, look, I love competing against banks because kind of, it's like kind of easy and they all stink. It's like, just what I mentioned earlier, like, you know, it's a bunch of guys, the culture sucks. It's commission sales dudes. It's stodgy. It's antiquated processes. And it's like, I'll run around that all day long. You look in the wealth management business, sometimes some of the wirehouses and look, there's a lot of great people, but man, 
I get the sense that there's got to be a better way. And uh, we've got some really creative ideas of how I think we can flip that on its head in central Kentucky and bring some opportunities here that I don't think exist currently. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped up about that. So we'll see. But that, that feels like the, the next chapter. When you arrived here, you've been here for a few years now. What excited you the most about what you're seeing either in Lexington or the state as a whole when you got back? So a couple things. One is <clears throat> when you live here your whole life, it's, it's the law of familiarity. Like you, you take parts of this place for granted of how beautiful it is and how nice the people are. And Wilmington, North Carolina was beautiful. Certainly the beach is beautiful, but man, coming back, uh, I just appreciated this place more having been gone for 10 years. You know, you, you drive out in the country and you look out and you've got the rolling hills and you see horse farms. You're like, man, in Wilmington, you know, the sea level, you know, you're right at sea level, so it's flat. But you can only place you can look out in the distance is over the ocean, right? Which is beautiful, but like I miss being able to see out in the distance when you get outside of Lexington five minutes in any, any, any direction. The people are fantastic. And obviously I have a love for UK athletics. I would say though, you know, outside of just, taking this place for granted and appreciating it more when you come back is um, downtown is just better. Yeah. Like we're sitting in downtown. Like I didn't go downtown really 10 years ago before I left to go to Kentucky, uh, to, to North Carolina. And there's been enough cool stuff happened downtown. I mean, this office is literally on main street and uh mill street right in the middle of downtown. And I mean, with the city center down here and what's going on with the park down here and some of these local businesses, I mean, this is, this is becoming a, a vibrant area with some real options and some 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 great restaurants. The entertainment is going up. The the types of music that's coming here. I mean, like it's just changed for the better. Yeah, and that's been um that's been a super exciting thing to see. Yeah, well, um, we'll definitely want to have you back on the Spotlight Series to get an update on down the road once you make that next move. But uh, it's been awesome having you on to hear your whole story and share your story. You know, I've uh, I got to hear your story early on after we met at the Entrepreneur Hall of Fame when. Chip got inducted into that. Um, but it's just great to be able to share that with the rest of the ecosystem. So thanks yeah, for making the time. And, uh, absolutely. And congrats on this too, guys. I, uh, everywhere I go, people, uh, people know of, of middle tech, man. So you guys have, have, have nailed it. And, uh, so keep going. You're doing great stuff. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely.